Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you for joining us again today on the program and for taking time out of your busy schedule and valuing what we're sharing and up to tune in every week. We so appreciate the cards, letters, and emails and words of encouragement that come from you, our audience. We also really enjoy it when we got to meet you in some of the places where we are ministering. We travel all the time and we are in different locations, so go to our website and see if we're coming to a city or town near you and we'd love to meet you there. Uh, let me say quickly before we get into the continuing to teach on the book of Hebrews, the third chapter, uh, I just wanted to mention, because a lot of times I haven't done this too much, but I just want to mention some of the books that we've written because we're in the Christmas season and I think these things make tremendous uh, stocking stuffers or good gifts to give someone the gift of the gospel that you think would be interested. But uh, the first book I want to mention is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. I wrote this book in 2007. If you've been afraid of the book of Revelation, this book is for you. It'll take the fear out. Uh, it's really a book not about bugs as big as Volkswagens or Godzilla monsters coming up out of the ocean. It's really a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the title of the book, and it's about Him and a revelation of Jesus. Uh, it is two seven churches that were really in Asia, and it's really what he writes to these churches is what will help them move from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant kingdom-based understanding is what the churches needed to change their minds about. And a revelation of Jesus to you will produce a revelation of Jesus through you. This book will really bless your heart. This book titled Unforced Rhythms of Grace was uh, the next book I wanted to mention and uh, we wrote this one uh, I think somewhere around 2010. Uh, but it is from the viewpoint of uh, Matthew the 11th chapter where uh, in the Message Bible it said, Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me work with me, see how I do it, I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. And what I do in this book is I take all the miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath day and show you how the Sabbath is more than just a day of the week. It is a person, His name is Jesus. And what flows from this incredible posture called rest and so when you're in rest, the rest, again, as I've been teaching from the book of Hebrews that we're going to jump into again today, is that the promised land called, uh, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, is called rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's more than a piece of real estate. But when you get in Christ, in His finished work, there will be an outflow of milk and honey. This book will bless your heart. It will really, really help you to be able to walk in some real rest. This last book that I just wrote that came off the press, titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift, is I think one of the most important pieces of work I've done to date. This book really comes to you from the viewpoint of Matthew 3 where he said John the Baptist came preaching, repent, the kingdom is at hand. The word repent, does, it literally means to change your mind or to change one's bent or to turn about. In the early days of preaching grace and freedom from the law, a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon of turning from law and from legalism but they didn't turn toward the Lord. Uh, they turned toward some other kind of bondage. All they did was trade one set of problems for another one. 
But this book tells you that when you repentance is not just what you turn from. So we turn from dead works, we repent from dead works, but our hearts turn toward the Lord. So it's not just what you turn from, it's what you turn toward. And what you turn toward is another form of government called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, according to 2 Corinthians 3, is a government of affirmation and not a government of condemnation. This book, I believe, will help you see the balance and it'll be a great, great blessing to you. All of these books are available on our website or on Amazon.com, but they're on our website. And we will ship them to you with the postage paid for $18 each. You can also go to Amazon and get them, or you can go to uh, uh, the, any of those venues and get an ebook copy of this immediately downloaded to your device. Uh, let me just say we're coming back now to teach from the book of Hebrews chapter 3. This is the fourth segment we've taught on the third chapter. So if you missed any of the prior segments, you can go back uh, and watch them on YouTube, or you can get them from our iTunes feed or from an RSS feed uh, from our podcast or from uh, the Android type feed. You can, it's the easiest way to do any of that. This is just a simple way to do it. Simply go to my website and there is a direct link from our website to the TV program, to the podcast, and to the RSS feed where you can get this for free on uh, YouTube and you can get it on uh, uh, delivered to your smart device so that you can listen to it on your way to work, bring you up to date with it. Hebrews, the third chapter, I want to come back and, and, and grab this again. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ is Son over His own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, always completely over and over and over again, He says in this chapter, today, 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 after so long a time, if you hear His voice, today, God is always saying today, we're always saying some glad morning, one of these days, in the sweet by and by. But the reason we can't call it today is because we keep going, going back to the same problems that the children of Israel did, and that is we come with evil reports and we can't call it today. He said, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost said today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, said they do always err and their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? To whom he swore, 
that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now what I want to do is go back and look at a few scriptures uh, that, that deal with the provocation. And the first one that I want to go to is Psalm chapter number 95 and verse 7. Uh, this is one of the first scriptures that talk about uh, uh, the provocation. It's Psalm 95, and we're going to begin reading uh, around uh, probably, let's see, ver verse 7. For He is our God, and, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And He uses this same terminology in Psalm 95 that He did in Hebrews 3 when He says, Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Now that's Psalm 95 talking the same thing that Hebrews chapter 3 talked about. Now I want us to go back into Exodus chapter 17, and uh, we will begin reading there because this was one of the first times they provoked. Now if you remember, uh, Last time I talked to you out of the book of Numbers, we talked about how they proved God or they tested God. He talked about it ten times. Now, I'm not going to go into all the ten times that they, they, they provoked the Lord, but this people were constantly a people that were provoking God to wrath with their unbelief. And I think some of it is they just had such a slave's mentality from coming up out of Egypt that they just could not shift gears from a coming out mentality to a going in mentality. Now see, here's the thing that I want to say in this segment especially. Listen, we can preach about all the stuff. There's a lot of people, it's like I said in this book, we can talk about what we came out of. And in prior segments I showed you how that Egypt in the Old Covenant is a picture of the religious system in the New Covenant. Because Revelation 11 verse 8 says, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Well, our Lord was not crucified in Sodom and Egypt in the natural, but He said the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So they came up out of Egypt in the physical bondage in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, God is trying to lead them up out of a spiritual bondage of the law of a mosaic system, that under that system, as I have already taught in many segments prior to this, we were servants and slaves, but in the new covenant we're sons. It's time to shift our thinking from a coming out. And so as I begin to preach, even in the early days, of understanding that the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. It's a brand new covenant. It's a completely different covenant. And I begin to preach freedom from the law and coming out from underneath of the old covenant and walking in a new covenant, walking into our promised land. A lot of people begin to uh, talk about coming out. And there's a lot of people ha who have come out of religion and they have come out of bondage. But I believe God is saying now it's not only time to come out, it's time to go in. 
And when you go in, see, we need to lose our coming out mentality and get a going in mentality. We need to realize the kingdom is now present. Again, this book really talks about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven, I'm not talking about when you go die and you go to heaven. I'm talking about the government of the kingdom is the government of living spirit. It is the government of the Holy Ghost in the life of the believer. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy. And it's located in the Holy Ghost. And we should have entered into that promised land. Uh, you know, I mean, it was being offered to a first century church. And I believe many of them did enter in. I believe there was a remnant just like Caleb and Joshua that entered in. But there's a whole lot of Hebrews that he's writing this to that are about to go back to Judaism. He's going to warn them later, listen, do not go back. Remember Lot's wife. What, don't go, the whole point of Lot's wife is don't go back. Interestingly enough, Lot's name means the veil. And when Moses is read, there's a veil put over your face. He's trying to get you, don't go back to that, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, Sodom was a place that Revelation 11 tied into, again, the same thing he tied Egypt to. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt according to Revelation 11 verse 8. And what he's saying is don't go back to that Sodom and Gomorrah. As a matter of fact, that Sodom and Gomorrah under Lot, clear back in the book of Genesis, was destroyed with a fire and brimstone. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed by fire. That city literally was burnt and God was saying to them, don't go back. Don't go back to that system of, of, of slavery and law. It's time to lose your coming out mentality and get a going in mentality. Call it today. Man, begin to enter into the faith-filled joy of resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean there's inactivity. It means the Holy Spirit is now doing the work in you rather than by your strength or your might or your own power. Now let me just read this to you from Exodus because this was one of the first times they brought provocation. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim and, where, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of all the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Unbelief. Now there's, several, there's two times here that these people are thirsting with water. This is the most complaining bunch of people that you'd ever want to see. 
This people, you would think, I don't know, I, I hope I would have been in a different posture if I'd have been here. But you would have thought, having seen God deliver you with 400 years worth of back pay from the Egyptians, simply by putting blood on the doorpost of your house and a lamb inside the house, and then God delivers you with 400 years of back pay, that would have been sign number one that God's with us. Secondly, when you get out in the wilderness and you see a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, you would say, I think God must be for us because then He puts a pillar of fire between them and their enemy and guards them and becomes their rear guard. You would have thought somewhere faith would have kicked in to these people. And then if that's not enough, God opens the Red Sea and three to six million people cross the Red Sea on dry ground. The sea opens up, they cross over on dry land, and the same water that saved them destroys the Egyptian armies. You'd have thought at some point faith would have kicked in and somebody would have said, wow, this God is big, man. This is an awesome God. Somebody said, well, you know, it wasn't all that big of a miracle. I mean, we see, that's the murmuring I think that happens is that people try to play down the incredible power of God. They said, well, you know, it was just water was only about that deep and a good wind would blow that. Well, even if that's the case and the water was only that deep, that tells me that God drowned the whole Egyptian army in that much water. So however much water you want to think it is, God still drowned the Egyptian army in it. I believe that God brought them over on dry land. It doesn't matter how deep it was. God drew up His arm and made bare His holy arm, and He brought them out by the power of His might. Then they come to, first of all, the wilderness of sin. And it's amazing to me. I, I've used this analogy and may be able to use it a little bit more in the fourth chapter when I open it up a little bit. But when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, now let's again make the comparison. If Egypt is a type of law and legalism and Old Covenant, and I think I've established that pretty good, if that's a type of Old Covenant, what I begin to see was when people come out of Egypt, their first stop normally is the wilderness of sin. That's not an accident. Because what happens is the moment most people get set free from law and legalism in the church, they're going to test the waters of freedom and they're going to come to the wilderness of sin. Now at the first time that they come to the wilderness of sin, here when they first come up out of Egypt, the water becomes bitter. Because what happens when you get free from law and legalism, but you get bound by something else, the water becomes bitter, and your life is not what it's supposed to be. The, the water becomes bitter, and God showed Moses a tree. I began to get concerned when I saw people that were getting bound, you're coming out of religion, but getting bound by substance abuse or uh, in all kinds of weird relationships and everything else. And I'm thinking, God, maybe I need to preach a little bit of law or something here. I mean, the temptation was there. And the Lord said, no, don't do that. Because what's happening is, is in the climate of freedom, what's really in these people's hearts is beginning to surface. But he said the water becomes bitter. The first thing you know, man, people were having marriages in trouble. They were having to go check into rehab, getting arrested. I'm talking about God's people, some of them. And I said, Lord, what do I do? He said, do what Moses did. I said, what did Moses do? He said he put a tree in it. And all of a sudden, boy, it hit me. The tree is the preaching of the cross. Show them that they were crucified with Christ. They're buried with Christ. 
They've been raised. In other words, preach the power of the cross that Jesus didn't just die for you. He died as you. Show them they're dead and their life is hidden with Christ in God. Preach something that will create a faith that will get them to see I'm not an old creation trying to exercise my freedom. I'm a new creation headed for the promised land. And then one of the things that I saw in my research that so powerfully blessed me was that even as we see this, this in, in Exodus 1 or Exodus 17, the rock that was smitten here in this particular case where they murmured and complained and there was no water was the rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, I read it to you last week, shows us that, that you know, don't be like the children of Israel who murmured. And it talked about how that, 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 that they ate the spiritual meat, they ate the manna, and they drank from the same spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. See, when we show them that Christ was smitten, and that the work of Calvary has a supply of water of life, it's the water of life that will get you up out of the wilderness of sin, moving towards Rephidim, and interestingly enough, the word Rephidim means rest. Rest in what? The finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, what happens is, is that both of these situations where they've run out of water, the water becomes bitter. I believe it is at Meribah, the water is out of, they don't have any water at Massa. There's a rock smitten here, and water comes out of the smitten rock. That rock was Christ. Moses misses the promised land later in the book of, of Numbers because at the same place he smites the rock a second time rather than speaking the word concerning the rock that was already smitten. And that's powerful in itself because what happens is we're going to try to go back when we, when we, we smite the rock again, what we're doing is we're saying what Jesus did was not enough for me. Let me just try to beat this out of myself or let me smite the rock again. Let me get Jesus back on the cross again. No, no, he's already been smitten. We must speak the word and the word mixed with faith will profit us and we'll call it today, walk into his finished work, enter into his rest and I'll tell you what, we'll leave the wilderness of sin and all of that stuff behind us. One of the powerful things though, that I found out in my research, and I thought this was so cool, but when they came to the waters, uh, when they crossed, I believe it was the waters of Meribah, and they crossed the sea and they're now in the wilderness of sin and the water has become bitter. God showed them a tree. But what I found it, that was there was elements in that water that when they drank that water, it gave them, number one, severe diarrhea. And I, I thought to myself as I, as, I, as I saw that, it gave them severe diarrhea. And I thought, well, here's the deal. God was trying to clean them out of all their Egyptian diet. Now, I bet that was a stinking mess there in the wilderness. And I'm not going to get into a whole lot of preaching about that. But I'm going to tell you what. God was trying to clean them out of all of the Egyptian diet that was inside of us. I believe the reason we're seeing such a stink in the church today as the message of grace has come is because it's God trying to get the stink and mess out of us of all the years of bondage we've set in Egyptian slavery. And God is still trying to get us cleaned out so that He could... See, that was really... We may think that was a bad thing, but it was God purging our system. I believe even in the people that are testing the waters of freedom and they find themselves where the water has become bitter, it's God cleaning you out of all the desires of all, for all the flesh pots and leeks and garlics and watermelons 
of the Egyptian diet that they ate and trying to change their diet into feeding on now the manna that came down from heaven. That bread was Christ and drinking from the rock, which is Christ. Finding our source, hallelujah, from Him instead of human reasoning. The second thing that that water did, I found, is it had elements in it that was good for people who were going to take long walks or long runs, it would keep them from cramping and their legs to keep them from cramping. Now that's just the provision of God. I don't know, you know, that just blesses me that what God was doing was number one, He was cleaning them out of all of the Egyptian diet that was in them, cleaning us out of all, if you will, our desires for the world. But He also was giving them something that could keep their legs from cramping while they were headed through the desert in a wilderness journey. God was giving provision for them for the long haul. God was, see, I'm telling you what God's doing in your life right now. What God is doing with this new covenant is I believe He's not just bringing behavior modification. He's bringing real life transformation. And it happens as we change our diet and as we change what we drink. When He put the tree in the water, the water became sweet and they left that place and entered into Rephidim, which means rest. I believe God is calling His people. You know, we're going to wrap up this third chapter today with this teaching, but I, I believe that when you see that the, he pro, they continually provoked God to anger because they could not mix the word with faith, they murmured. The, the issue was they kept on complaining and murmuring and looking back with a desire to go back to what they came out of. Let me tell you something. We are probably in one of the most transitional times of human history and sometimes, as we are even ministries who are trying to pastor in this climate, it's the most difficult time in the world to pastor because people are transitioning from law to grace, and we don't know how to navigate those waters. I'm telling you, there are biblical patterns right here. Put the tree in the water. Bring the people back into faith. Refocus them on looking away from Moses and looking unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. Call it today and preach something that builds faith. See, you know, when you keep on preaching against stuff and telling people who they're not, it never produces any faith in them. But when you preach who they are in Christ and bring them into the revelation of their identity in the new creation, it will make believers out of them. People used to come to me and say, well, what do you all believe at that church? I said, well, we don't believe this. We don't believe you should do that. We don't believe you should do that. We don't. And I realized I sat right in church and became an unbeliever. But when I begin to preach you're the righteousness of God in Christ on the basis of what Jesus did, that you're a new creation, that you're holy brother, that you're a partaker of the divine nature, people at first looked at me like, you're crazy. What rock did you crawl out from underneath of? Well, the rock I crawled out from underneath of is Christ. But secondly, when I started to preach that stuff, that you're the righteousness of God, you're a new creature, people became what I call believers. And when they became faith-filled believers, they start calling it today and living out of this promised land called Christ and His finished work of the rest of God and milk and honey begin to flow out of them. They provoke God constantly. Don't be a provoker. I believe that we're living in a day when we can enter into His rest. We're about to run out of time and I want to just thank you for taking the time to write to us and uh, 
you know, sowing a seed into the ministry. It really does take your faithful support for us to be able to do uh, this expensive venture with television. So if you can sow a seed into the ministry, go to the website would be the easiest way to do it. You could give via credit card or debit card, or you could call the number on the screen. Somebody will take your credit card, or you can call, or you can write and write a check to Lynn House Ministries and send it to the address that will come on the screen. Your faithful support is what enables us to take the gospel around the world. Order the books today. I believe you'll be blessed. God bless you until we meet again. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.